0: Good deal, man. We are so glad uh, to have you here at North, uh, whether you are joining in person or live stream. We know that is still uh, going on, and so we've got some families uh, that are tuning in that way as well. So welcome to Lindsay Lane North. My name is Alan. I'm the pastor here at North. Uh, in case you were wondering, that was uh, Brother Dusty. If you're new to the area, uh, Brother Dusty was the pastor of Lindsay Lane, Maine, for a long, long time, 28 years and so, uh, we just thought it would be so cool to bring him back and to do a, to do a, uh, a video. So, uh, we were super excited about that week. Uh, and so you'll have to come back next week to see if we can piece it all together. Uh, again, but if you are visiting with us, whether electronically or in person, man, we're so glad to have you here, uh, we're excited that we've resumed some of our childcare and things like that, uh, we, we're doing the very best that we can possibly do, uh, to make sure that your kids stay safe, um, as, as they worship and as they, uh, get an opportunity to be poured into through our children's ministry team. So they've been chomping at the bit. But if you if you are visiting with us uh inside your bulletin or if you're visiting at home, you can access uh, you can access that at if you text the number 31996, and you text the phrase, uh, North Connect. You can be connected with our Connect card virtually, um, but for you guys that are here, if you will open your bulletin, inside that is a Connect card. We want a record that you are here. Uh, we want to be able to interact with you again. We're not going to embarrass you, anything like that. We just want to know that you're here. We want to get a gift in your hand, uh, and we would love, uh, love to love on you, okay? And so if you would fill that out, there's also a place if you've got prayer requests, and that's members... Uh, visitors, all that alike, uh, if you have prayer requests, we would love to pray for you as a staff weekly. Um, we do that each and every week. And so we would love to do that as well, as well as a place to, if you make decisions today. So if you're, if you made a decision, make a decision today, you can let us know that as well on that, uh, connect card. And that's virtual or in person. We are in week three of our bring it in series. Uh, We are really, really excited about what God's doing through this as we focus on unity in the body of Christ, uh, as we focus on being united together. And again, we've said, if the church, with the gospel to unite us, if the church can't unify, we are completely without hope for this world. There there's no entity in the world that has a cause greater than the gospel to unite around. And so if the church is divided, what does that say about the rest of humanity, right? And so we we have to be unified. And unified, and not just as a church family. Yes, it begins at the local body. We've seen divisions happening in lo, in the local body, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond the local body to to the church universal. As well, Again, we don't have to agree on everything to unite in mission to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. We're going to be in the final few verses of Philippians chapter 1 today. We've looked at the reason as a team. Every team has a reason. And if that reason is, is large enough or that vision is conveyed enough, then there's unity that's found in the, in the reason. There's unity that's found in the name. Right, We rep a name, not just the name on the back of the jersey, but the name on the front. We, as the body of Christ, don't just rep ourselves. We are repping the bride of Christ. And as such, it can't be enough for us just to finish well. We've got to refuse to finish alone uh, and bring people with us as we, as we serve the Lord and as we pursue His calling in our life. Today, every team has opposition. Every team that's ever been assembled, I would, I would go as far as to say it is not a sports team if there is not opposition, if there's not a team or an individual that opposes that team. And so, and so every sports team has opposition. And so today we're going to talk about the opposition that we face as children of God. Before we do, I want to look at Philippians 1:27. This is kind of the proof text of everything that we're tracking these net, these four weeks. Listen what it says in verse 27 of Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Remember literally live as citizens of heaven. Worthy of the gospel. Rep your name so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what Paul desired from the church of Philippi. We need to understand this scripture. God's word was written for us, but it was not written directly to us. Right, it was written to the Philippians. It was written, and we need to understand it in the context that it was written to, and so it was written to the church at Philippi. But it has profound ramifications for us as we as we seek to study it and as we apply it to our life. And so that he desires to be one team, standing side by side and fighting, pushing back the forces of darkness in the world. Here's something I thought was was an interesting thought. A team isn't just judged on their performance. They're not just judged on how they perform. They're also judged on who they perform against. It's all a matter of the opposition that you're facing. We, being from the SEC, understand this argument well, do we not? In fact, we make this argument all the time. Yeah, I'd like to see how that Big Twelve offense fares against SEC defense at week in, week out. Right? We make those we make those statements all the time. Why? Because we tend to hold a higher standard for the defensive side of the ball in the SEC, and the and the amount of competition that we have at that level determines who we play. And so when we look at that, it's not just about how we perform because we can perform well against toddlers. Right? It's about how we perform against the competition that we have. So this was uh, given with booming clarity to me when I was in football. In Hazel Green, I brought my jersey last week to show you played for the baseball team. The day after baseball season was football season. And hitting the weights and getting things ready for football. Uh, My junior year, we did something that only one other... Team, one other Hazel Green team had done in the history of our school. Uh, we made it to the playoffs. Alright, we were, we've never made it past the first round of the playoffs, but Hazel Green made it to the playoffs my junior year. It was our first year. We had been 5A. We jumped up to 6A that year and we, we had a great team that had been playing together a long time. And I think we ended up going like seven and four or something that season, but it was, we, we were doing really, really well and we thought that like, we were, we were pretty good. We were awesome. And then came the state playoffs. And I'll never forget, we had to drive down. We we finished third, and we had to play the second-ranked team in Birmingham, which happened to be Mountain Brook. Uh, and we went down. Don't get ahead of me. Don't you get ahead of me. You don't know. Hazel Green could have done it. Uh, not a good start. Our charter bus breaks down in Coleman. So like we're on the side of the interstate. The entire team uh, is sitting in a charter bus that like you paid to get you there. Like that is the foolproof method, right? Like I'm pretty sure I also witnessed a charter bus taking out a light at the football field last Friday night. Y'all didn't heard about that, but that happened because I was right behind them. And uh, anyway, so you you do the, the you do the charter bus for the foolproof. You know transportation. We broke down, so we wait for about two and a half, three hours for another charter bus to pick us up. We drive down to Mountain Brook. We get there like fifteen minutes before the game is supposed to start. They have to postpone the game a little bit just so that we have an opportunity to get ready to play. We're crazy. What we didn't know about that is it had been better if we had just stayed broken down in Coleman. We'd have just never left. <laughs> we'd have just they'd have just said you know what let's call it. It's not going to happen. We'll just turn around. That'd been better. Uh, because we got drilled. We had a relatively successful football season, which says a lot for Hazel Green at that time. And, But it was all relative to the opposition we played. We found out on the way home that all four teams that were sent by the northern region to Birmingham, all four teams lost to Birmingham teams. The fourth place team that, that North Alabama sent lost to the first place team. Shocker. The third, the, uh, third place team, us, lost to the second place team. The second place team, though, lost to their third place team, and the first place team that North Alabama had, that played up in North Alabama, also got drilled. It was all relative to the competition that we played. And so it's not just about performing, but it's about the level of the competition and the opposition that faces us. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at how God uses opposition, how God uses struggle and pain in our life to bring us meaning and purpose. And we're going to see how God views the opposition that is placed before us as the body of Christ. And so number one, let's look at the proof in pain. The proof in pain. Philippians 1, says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He said, I'm, Don't be frightened in anything. And not frightening anything by your opponents. The word frightened there is the same word picture that we have of a horse that would startle at the sound of, of something loud. That a horse would get startled and, and, and would kind of go crazy. We used to have a dog. I would never had horses. There was one time that I really tried to like this girl. I, I liked this girl and she liked horses. I really tried to like horses and it just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, but I tried, okay? I tried. Drove over to Louisiana to find out I don't like horses, and maybe I don't like her as much as I thought I did. Uh, but <laughs> I, did, I have had dogs. And growing up, we duck hunt, and so we had Labradors. And we had a dog, man, that we were really, really excited about. We wanted to get in the in the field, wanted to get hunting. Uh, we were really excited about it, and we went out one day, and we shot skeet. Now, that is not shooting trap. Shooting skeet is way more redneck, all right? Shooting skeet means you take the the clay pigeon and you throw it yourself. You hurl it as far as you can, and you let the other person shoot it. That's what it means to shoot skeet, all right? So there's a difference, shooting skeet, shooting trap, okay? We don't have the fancy machines going from up. It's just how far Billy Bob can throw them, okay? And so we we would go shooting skeet, and, man... Uh, we started looking for our dog, after we shot three or four, we started looking for our dog, and it was like crawled up in the fetal position, as far, like trying to get under the house. It was gun-shy, right? It startled easily. And Paul says here, he's using this terminology, don't frighten easily. Don't shy away from your opponents, as would a horse or, or a dog at the at sound of a noise. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. Why does, why does the, the dog startle? Why does the horse startle? Because it takes them off guard. The noise takes them off guard, and they, they lose their cool. They, they, they act differently because they're taken off guard by the noise. I truly believe this to be true. I believe much of the church, the reason why we respond the way that we do to suffering and struggle and pain, is because we are truly, despite biblical evidence to the contrary, we are constantly taken off guard that God would have us go through something difficult. It startles us. And so as soon as it startles us, we shrink back into our own pride and we shrink back into our, our own selfishness and we start asking questions like, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? And why would you allow that to happen? When he's told us he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So there's no difference in the amount of struggle that we, we would have, but the difference is in how we handle and who we go to that struggle with. Who do we go with to that, with that struggle? That's the difference for us as children of God. And so don't startle easily at your opponents, is what Paul says to the church of Philippians. And listen, they had significant opponents. had significant opponent, opponents. Andy John uh, taught this in illustration last week, and, and I'm just going to shamelessly use it because it's good, and I want you to hear it. Uh, and, and I love what Adrian Rogers said, and that he said at the beginning of his ministry, he promised that he was going to be original or nothing. And he said he turned out to be both. He was original and it was terrible, right? So, so I'm going to use Andy John's illustration shamelessly because it's a good one. When the, when the army, we talked about how Philippians, how the, how Philippi was a Roman colony. And as a Roman colony, they were acquainted with the Romans way of doing battle. And so the way that would happen, it was infamous. They'd have three divisions of people. They had a front line, a middle line, and a back line. And they would spread out as far as they needed to in order to accommodate their forces. The back line was made up of the legionnaires. They were made up of those people, right? The 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 guys you see on Gladiator and stuff, you know, on Gladiator, not not American gladiators, the movie Gladiator, you get where I'm going with that? All right. They're they're the battle hardened warriors. I mean, they've seen it all. They've had things thrown at them, and they've conquered everything for Rome. These were the hard-nosed guys. You don't mess with the legionnaires. The second group, the middle group, these were the young officers. These were the guys that had had a little bit of, of, of battle experience. They may not have seen everything, but they had a pretty decent amount of battle experience, and they knew they weren't, they weren't going to run. They weren't going to retreat. They were, they were in it for the long haul. The first line of defense for Rome were the rookies, the guys that had never faced battle before. And you you look at that initially, and you go, "Thanks, you know, great, thanks, leaving us out here, we have no chance, right?" So initially, you think that, but this is what this was the thinking of the day. For Rome, retreat was never an option, and it didn't matter what the enemy threw against them, threw at them. It didn't matter what happened. Retreat was not an option. Those little green first-time-in-battle warriors, when they see all that the enemy has to throw against them, their initial response is to tuck tail and run. When they turn around, though, they're staring those legionnaires in the face. They know that there is no escape and retreat is no option. Because they are Rome. And because they are Rome, they do not retreat. This is an amazing picture of how we, as the church, are called to be the church. The retreat is not an option. Why? Because God has promised us that we win. He promised the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He told it to Peter. And so we've been promised victory. Retreat isn't an option. So why is it that when we feel the first bit of pressure, we shirt back and we become selfish and self-centered, and we immediately start throwing a pity party for ourselves? You see, the people of Philippi knew the type of persecution Paul was talking about. They had already witnessed it in Paul. Remember, it was in Macedonia, it was in Philippi when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. But before they were, they were thrown in prison, they were stripped naked. They were paraded around the city. They were beaten with rods. And then they were thrown into the middle of the prison in Macedonia in Philippi. So the Philippians had seen Paul already be in prison. And by the way, they had found out that Paul was writing to them in prison again. A separate imprisonment. So Paul is the ultimate example for struggle for them. He had written to him while he's in prison and they had seen it. They had eyewitnessed, seen him be persecuted. Right? And so they had, they had seen that happen and so there was pressure all over the place coming from in Philippi toward the believers, toward the church. There was the Jews that were in a lot of places that had pushed back and, and that were, were fighting against what Paul was doing. But there were also the Romans, these Roman citizens who were pagan polytheistic uh, religious people who saw Christianity as a threat and they would persecute them mightily. And so some of the greatest persecution of the church happened in Philippi. In fact, Paul talks about over and over how the Philippians had no money, that they didn't have, you know, I think mostly probably because of the persecution they were going through, but yet they continued to stand firm and unified with Paul and with each other. In your notes, struggle is the heritage in the world... Of those who are not of the world. Struggle is the heritage in the world of those who are not of the world. Jesus promised for the life of a believer in this world to be one of trouble and struggle. He sat his disciples down. Remember, imagine how how encouraging this was. Hey, y'all, I'm I'm your master. I'm your teacher. The, The servant isn't greater than the master. They hate me. They'll hate you too. Follow me so that you can be hated by the world. This was the call of God on these disciples' life, right? Come and be hated. Right? Because the, why? The, You're not of the world. If the world, if you were of the world, he prayed in John 17, if they were of the world, they would be loved by the world as the world's own. But they're not. We are strangers and we are pilgrims, we talked about last week. And as such, we will experience hardness. The question is: how do we endure the hardness that we face? There's proof in our pain. As the church, it is our heritage to experience struggle, to experience heartache, and to experience, yes, even in North Alabama, persecution. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, could the lack of struggle that we experience as the church be the world's conformity to our thinking or our conformity to the world's thinking? Could it be that the world is... softening and they are coming over to our line of thinking. I don't know about you, but if you watch the news for any amount of time, I think we could come to the obvious conclusion that that is not happening. Maybe the reason why the world isn't persecuted like it has been is because, in a lot of ways, we are indistinguishable from the world. Look at us and they see people that are just like themselves when we are called to be so much greater. It's the proof of our salvation. It's proof, it's, it's evidence for our salvation that when we experience pain through persecution, these things, that this is something that is an identifier of the body of Christ. But secondly, let's look at the privilege of pain. We've seen the proof of pain. Let's look at the privilege of pain. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. Now that is odd terminology. For it has been granted to you. That word... In the Greek, literally means, the word granted literally means to be gifted as a favor. You think about favors that you do for people, right? When you give of yourself and your time and your resources, do somebody a favor. Why? Because you want to help them. You want to help them through something or whatever it is, you're wanting to serve them in some way. Paul says that it has been granted to us for the sake of Christ not only that we should believe we understand and recognize that gift right we recognize salvation hallelujah right it is by grace we've been saved through faith we recognize this gift but do we recognize the gift that suffering is that not only you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake that what we endure as the body of Christ, through God, through his sovereignty, gifts it to us. It's not something that we just endure. It's not something we just, oh, okay. It is to be rejoiced in because it's given to us as a gift from God. Now understand, the for the Philippians... It's one thing to look back and go, yeah, they were in going through persecution, but yeah, suffering's a gift from God. It's another thing when you're watching your mom and dad being dragged out in the street, being beaten and thrown in prison or even killed. Right, And so I can imagine these Philippian uh, believers having seen all of this stuff. And there was significant baggage when it came to suffering for Jesus. And now Paul has the audacity to say, wear it on your neck like a badge. Be excited about it. It is gifted to you by God. We don't have this perspective for pain that it is a gift given and granted to us as a favor from God. Faith is the first gift of God to believers, but the second is an opportunity to increase that faith. How? Through resistance. And so, I brought with me today one of the oldest barbells I think I've ever seen. Uh, When I was a kid, I can remember my dad... Really talking up football. We were getting ready to to play. I was probably fourth grade or so. Um, You can start a debate with me later whether a fourth grader should be working out. I promise I didn't stay with it enough to matter. and he started pumping me up about football, man. Football is a man's game. You gotta, you gotta drive. You know, he, he's going through the whole thing. I mean, you get an opportunity to just ear holes about All, all the stuff that's illegal now to do in football. He was talking. He was appealing to me through all this. And he and he and, and I remember we got. I got so fired to <laughs> just spear him. Yeah, I got so fired up that we went downstairs and my dad had this old rickety weight set. There, it's not even. I guess it's from Russia, it's, it's, they're done in kilos, it's not, even, it's not even by weight, it's 4.4 pounds on either side, right? And so I remember going down into our old unfinished garage, our unfinished basement, and starting to work out with these plastic weights. Uh, I started small, matter of fact, I probably started with these, these things are old, I was talking to dad, they're probably at least 30 years old. Um, and he had just found them when he was a teenager and he, that's what he worked out with and, and I remember working, I remember working out with him and it was hard and I was like, nah, I'm done, right? And I, I quit. It only, my, my enthusiasm only lasted so long. But anybody that lifts weights understands the principle behind lifting weights, right? As you lift, you start small. I'll never forget as a middle school guy watching those, those high school guys lifting all those weights and then I tried to lift that bar and I'd been working with this plastic stuff. I didn't have it. I didn't have it. But you gotta start somewhere. You start small and you work your way up. As you increase your resistance, you build, you build muscle mass, right? And so as the, as the resistance increases, your muscle mass, as you begin to work over time through reps and through all that stuff, you begin to build up your muscle mass. And so we understand the increase of physical weight and physical resistance to increase our physical strength what paul is telling the philippians is god is doing the same thing in your spiritual life as well god through resistance through resistance is building within you spiritual muscles that you so that you can stand the test of time i just thought that was really cool i didn't know my dad still had those and i found them and i just that was awesome um, listen, listen to this. He, he, this is something this is an idea that reverberates throughout the New Testament. Listen to what Romans five three just write these down they 're not on the screen. Just write them down uh, as you get these references. Not only that listen Romans three five three Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance as you work out as you lift more weights, you begin to lift heavier weights. you can be, begin to lift for longer amounts of time. you build stamina, and so that Our suffering produces in us spiritual endurance. I believe we as the church have, in this day, have very little spiritual endurance. Man, we cut and run at the first sign of something going wrong or someone disagreeing or us offending somebody, God forbid. Right? Right? And we've taken this ideology of the snowflake ideology and, and equated it to the church. And Paul is saying just the opposite in the book of Philippians. Stand firm. Fight against the, fight against the, the forces of evil. Stand firm and fight. Be men about it. Be women of faith that are grounded and that will stand for something. But rejoice in our suffering. James 1, 2 through 4. It says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why, why do we work out? Because we're working out for a purpose. We're, it's leading somewhere, right? And there's joy in that process. Now, I can say as a completely apathetic weightlifter, I have never gotten to the point where I loved working out. It just never happened for me. I didn't sell out too. but I know there's people in this room that they love it. Why? Because it's part of their lifestyle, it's part of who they are, and as a result, they can live more than I can, right? And so this is what God is doing in us, learning to love, learning to see it as a privilege, the pain that we experience, the heartache and the hurt, the abandonment and the betrayal, to see it as an opportunity to grow the initial gift of faith that God has given us. He has gifted us the opportunity to increase that faith. Net gains for the kingdom of God that may come at personal loss for ourselves. But on your note, seeing life struggles as a gift from God requires that we see our lives as a gift to God. Why do we recoil in selfishness and self-pity? Because we, we don't see ourselves the way that God's Word Sees us. We still haven't settled in our mind if we're going to sacrifice and give and surrender all of ourselves to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my live verses talks about being a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable and it just makes sense for a God that gave everything for us for us to give everything to Him. This is not out of compulsion, but by His grace. And because of that grace, we give. But if we're going to see pain this way, if we're going to handle the way that we deal with struggle and heartache and pain, listen, it's real. It hurts. There's people that are dealing with it right now. But in order for us to see it as a gift from God, we're going to have to see our lives as a gift for God unapologetically, my life is not my own. I don't live for myself. I live for the glory of God. Thirdly and finally, let's look at the progress from pain. The progress from pain. Philippians 1.30 Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's go back to what we were talking about. The progress made in pain, if we we look at it and, and look at it from the Philippian perspective and say, well, I remember Paul when he was here. He got thrown into jail. Got put in the clink, right? And now, he's behind bars again, facing death. Could possibly require his life. He said that earlier in Philippians 1, right? And so he's in chains. And so they have this perfect example of a man that they have seen be put in prison, and then a man, a, the man still in prison, put in a different prison later in his life. And it says, engage in this conflict that you saw, and now you hear that I still have. He's saying, now you are a part of this conflict. You have been made a part of this battle that I'm fighting. Yes, my pain has been on full display for you, Church of Philippi. But you are engaged in this battle too. don't think that you're exempt from difficulty. Don't think you're exempt from pushback. Don't think you're exempt from struggle and from pain. But God has called you to the same struggle that He's called me too. And listen, he wasn't pulling any punches. The word conflict here is the Greek word agony, which is where we get the word agony, right? He's not saying, "Hey, listen, it's it's going to be rough. It's going to be it's going to be tough for a little bit. It's going to be the struggle," right? We we hashtag it on our Twitter accounts, right? He he's not he's not saying it's just going to be mild disruptions. He's saying there are times that doing what God has called you to do will be absolute agony for your physical body. It'll be agony but it'll be worth it. What we do for the cause of Christ will be worth it. Just like the sacrifice that's put in in practices, the sacrifice that's put in in weight rooms, practices that are put in in gyms, getting conditioned, ready to go out for a team to fight a battle, for a team to play an opponent. God is using these things in us to make us stronger in our walk with Him. But struggle unites us. So if the point is unity, the point for us as a church is unity, then struggle is to our advantage because struggle unites us in two ways. Number one, it unites us with believers. It unites us with believers. There is nothing that will bring a team together like having two-a-days. Coach, you remember that? I mean, having to, I don't know what kind of brand of football we play in now, right? Where you have like four or five hours of contact the entire week. I mean, we had contact every single time we went out there, whether we had full pads on or not. And then we probably got in fist fights afterwards. Like we, it was just all contact all the time, right? And so that, that was, why? Because that in us built toughness. And so we struggled together, we sweat together, we bled together, and it produced a team of people who could stand up to hardness. Listen what Acts 5.41, again, just write these in your notes. Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council after they had been arrested twice. They couldn't hold them either time. And listen what they said. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were brought together as disciples. This was Peter and the, and the disciples. They were brought together through their suffering for the dishonor and dishonor for the name of Jesus. Matthew 5:11. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is camaraderie in that persecution that we, as the persecuted church, we rise up and we are, we are better together. We are standing firm and fighting together. It brings us together. As the body of Christ. When somebody goes through struggle, I man, there's nothing that I enjoy more than seeing the body of Christ serve the body. I mean, to see people go through heartache and struggle and to watch someone reach out to them in the love of God and, and, there you go. And I think that was my daughter who just went crazy, by the way. Uh, and they come together to love on one another. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know how people outside the church do it. I don't know somebody that don't have membership in a church body somewhere. I don't know how they survive. I don't know how they do it. How utterly alone you must feel when God has called us to live in community together. It doesn't just unite us with other believers. It ultimately unites us with Christ. We identify with Christ. We love identifying in His victory. But in order to identify in His victory, we identify in His struggle and His death. 1 Peter 4 13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen, church, pain is proof. Pain is proof. Pain is privilege, and pain means progress for the believers that are sold out, sacrificing their lives for Him, there is strength that can be found, that can only be found in pain. So how has God used that in your life? How have you resp- How are you responding right now to points of pressure and pushback in your life right now? God has called us to be obedient, to give All of our cares to Him because He cares for us. With every head bow and eye closed, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, gosh, man, God loves you so much. So much so He sent His Son to die for you. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know you can enter into that today. Now listen, I know that I haven't painted a rosy picture of what Christianity is. And I'm going to be honest with you, for a lot of us in this room, Christianity hasn't been that way. We haven't lived a quantifiable distance enough apart from the world to be identified outside of this world, as called out. But I know I haven't painted a rosy picture, but what I, what I will tell you is what you suffer for Christ, the life lived for Christ, despite the opposition, is worth it. It's worth it. In fact, it is worthy of the entire effort of your life. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, in just a moment, you can respond. Maybe maybe you're not thinking, you hadn't been thinking very much about the body of Christ. Maybe you've been focused on yourself. Maybe God's calling you to unify yourself in a body of believers. Maybe that looks like coming to Lindsay Lane North through membership. Again, here physically or at home through the virtual connect card. Or maybe that looks like being baptized, identifying yourself in a body of believers. I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian, but I need to be baptized. I need need to take that step of obedience. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, I pray that you would respond today. I pray that you would respond to him in just a moment. When I say amen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond if you're physically here in this room. We've got counselors in the front that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Whatever decision needs to be made, uh, you can do that today. And so would you just respond in boldness? Let this be the first thing that you, the first stride that you take against uh, conflict against pushback in your life to be to make the decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior make that decision to join a church home or whatever it is that you need to do. Father, give us boldness, let us be emboldened by your spirit not to frighten away from our enemy, not to frighten away from opposition because you, God you have called us as more than conquerors through you. And so, Lord, through your spirit, I pray that we would be receptive to it today and we would respond in obedience in your name we pray. Amen and amen. If that's you and you need to respond today, with every head bowed and eyes still closed, if you need to respond today, would you just stand? Come to the front. We've got counselors in the front. We've changed changed our spots a little bit for our counseling to make room for our child care. But if you would, just stand up. Stand to your feet, come to the front. We've got counselors who would love to talk to you about whatever decision you need to make. Is that you? Would you respond now in this moment? How about you? How about you? Lastly, before you leave, there's another way that you can respond. Please let us know through that Connect card virtually or in person, let us know if you made a decision for Christ today for whatever reason you just didn't come forward would you, just, would you just put an X there on whatever decision that you need to make there at the bottom of the card just let us know, give us some information that we can follow up on, we would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship. man you get that settled, you can get identified in the church family, in a body of believers and then we can make a difference for the kingdom of God father we thank you for today thank you for what you've done and lord we love you and we're excited god about what you're doing in our church god use us in our church to make a difference to stand firm and to fight fighting together for the cause of the gospel Lord, whatever that looks like call us to obedience to it in jesus name we